I'm here today with Don Merlot. Now, Don is a great guy who actually spent a number of years building a huge mortgage business in the northeast of the United States. And from that, he's been able to garner a lot of not only business experience, but also market and mortgage experience. So it's my pleasure today to be able to interview him and hopefully impart some of his wisdom on you. So Don, this quarter, there's been a scare regarding the economy and a potential recession. Um, have you seen anything in the market to correlate that? And how tied to the stock market is the real estate market in your view? I can't speak to the actual health issues. I mean, we all have our own opinion regarding that, um, Kevin. What I can speak to is what we're seeing as it relates to the mortgage industry and interest rates as a whole across the nation. You know, Tennessee tends, Tennessee trends with the nation. There are areas um, and there are pockets of our country that lag behind. That's certainly not the case with Tennessee. We trend with it in real time. So what we're seeing because of the coronavirus, we are certainly seeing a panic because of the supply chain economics involved with China and how most of the world's economies are tied to China and the supplies that they provide other economies and other industries for their product. Um, from what I understand, this is this has been addressed. More and more factories, I just saw the report this morning, more factories are opening up in China. Things are slowly beginning to, um, beginning to get back to normal. Now, whether that keeps pace or not is anybody's guess, but as, it's a bit, as, it, as it relates to mortgage interest rates, we have definitely seen within the last five days a decrease in rates. Um, because how investors are moving their money, they're moving to a, a more safe avenue um, of investment. When that happens, to put it in, a, to, to kind of put it in a nutshell for everybody, and, and this may not be 100% of the time, but bad news for the economy is oftentimes good news for mortgage interest rates. Again, we will see segments and periods and moments and that's what they are. They are moments. And, and, and I really believe this is what we're experiencing right now. We're experiencing a moment um, where that, that thumbnail description wouldn't take place. But we have seen the rates fall dramatically. Um, this is an amazing time. If you're thinking about refinancing or purchasing, this is an amazing time to do it. I mean, we certainly never want to capitalize or take, take advantage of someone else's misfortune. And our thoughts and prayers go out to the families affected by the coronavirus. But the reality of the situation economically is exactly what we're discussing today. And that's, you know, this is, this is, um, this is a good time to speak with a loan officer, speak with your mortgage company, and investigate the possibility of doing something different with the mortgage you currently have. And I suppose on that same track, uh, do you think that there's anything in the market that you see, at least here in Tennessee, um, or in the real estate market that you see that, that would correlate the fears of a, of a total crash? Or do you think this is more of just the stock market adjusting, really correcting to uh, projected profits? Sure. It really, that in large part depends upon inventory. Inventory will drive the marketplace as it, uh, as it relates to um, new um, as it relates to new business purchase money, so get and and Tennessee did very well. Um, 2019 to 2020, we're up, I believe, 17 percent. 
or nearly 17% in, in um, real estate sales. Even with that, we won't know how the how this how this economic climate over the last week or so has impacted our industry um, as far as purchases are concerned until sometime next month or even next quarter. But what I can tell you, and from talking with other loan officers and other mortgage companies uh, on a national level, there there is no slowdown whatsoever in in, in what we're seeing take take place. Um, the real estate market is healthy, it's thriving, and real estate uh, real estate is up. Purchases are up. Refinances are up. Uh, mortgage applications are up. Now, even if this, even if this, uh, this moment, this panic hadn't occurred, we, I would still be answering the question the same way for you. So right now, you know, lower interest rates always drives a market but what we're looking for is consistency. And that, that's the point that I really want to, to, to drive home. What we need to view, again, is, is not what's happening moment by moment or when there's a blip in the movement of the stock market, but over the long term, over the, over the period of a quarter or um, uh, biannually. What are, what, how, did that, how did the market play into the real estate um, community? And right now, we're not seeing any negative effects whatsoever. And I, I suppose that means to me at least that um, it's more of a correction than uh, – or cor- a slight adjustment to profits than – or projected profits than actual um, you know, uh, 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 real estate woes, which would indicate more of a recession. Um, but I remember on the radio – and I guess this goes back to what you think of the psyche of the of the populace uh, from your sector. Um, I remember on the radio recently there was somebody talking about how they've put all their money in Bitcoin and they're going to um, get all their shotguns ready and we're all going to look right. like uh, apocalyptic. Again, being realistic, if I can if I could just interject, being realistic, I wonder if that's the same individual that sells low and buys high. I, I, you know, I... There's a there's a there's a mentality when it comes to investing that needs and and I'm I know I'm I'm talking to the choir preaching to the choir here on this. There's a menta- mentality that has to go along with how do you view what's happening? Are you viewing it in the short term or in the long term? If you're you know where was this gentleman at, at Y2K and I, and you know I may be dating myself here by saying that. But what was this individual thinking? Y two K? Did they? Did they? You know, was was it? A, is he? A, is he or she a doomsdayist? And if so, well, then they're going to take the appropriate actions to make themselves feel comfortable. And that's what everybody needs to do. Where is your peace level? Where is your comfort level? Make that determination and move forward. But before you make that determination, I would strongly advise you to not necessarily listen to everything you you hear on television or radio, but do your own investigation and come to your own conclusion taking both sides into consideration, but make the decision on your own. Don't make a decision this important, whether to buy or sell. Um, Don't make that decision based on what somebody else is thinking. Make the decision based on your comfort level with both sides taken, um, both sides being considered, both viewpoints. And moving on more to uh, the macro side of business, and really, I think, why why it's so important to... um, uh, bring you on today. You know, there's been thousands of books written about business and networking and all sorts of successful ways to grow a business and books with swearing right on the title just so you know that they're serious. 
Um, has there been one thing that you feel has been overlooking people start in any industry, really? And really, how did you uh, grow your business? Yeah, uh, the way I built my business, and first I want to say this right up front, and I don't wear this um, as a tool, as a selling tool, but anybody who knows me will understand this. God gets the glory for what and the direction this conversation will take, Kevin. When I made the determination to start a mortgage company, it was after years and years and years of, I mean, I never held a job in the mortgage industry longer than three years because my thought process was always this. And I know there's a, there's a better way to do what it is we're looking to do. And number two, you know, I need to have a life work balance. You know, most people talk about a work life balance. I was seeking a life work balance. And finally, my mother-in-law came to me and my wife came to me and said, look, you have made oodles of money for other people. Why don't you decide to take a shot at it on your own? And besides, you might as well do it right now while you know everything anyways. And I say that jokingly, but there was some truth to what they said. So I did. I ventured out and started a mortgage company. I looked at it this way. Um, I, I truly was a salmon swimming upstream in, in the marketplace. And we did for a, a long period of time um, before we began to downsize. We owned about 15% of the market share in our community, which was very strong for an organization of our size. And the way we did it is we built we built this organization. I built this organization focusing first and foremost on relationship. And this is where the con controversial part will come into play. I didn't look at the bottom line on any single transaction. I never looked at the corporate or the personal income on any single transaction. And I didn't allow my loan officers to do it either. Because if we look at the bottom line, if we focus on the bottom line, then we run the risk of doing something for that buyer, for that homeowner that would not necessarily be to their best interest. And if we as a mortgage lender have a fiduciary responsibility to do what's best for the mortgage uh, for that homeowner, whether it's a purchase or a refinance, well, there, there can potentially be a conflict there. So to avoid that conflict, I made the decision to trust and not look at the bottom line, but to really perform an active listening when talking with the buyer, when talking with the homeowner. And just, I, I, I played the so what game. And this is all centered around relationship. And there was a residual effect that I didn't really recognize in the beginning would be, really would put us on the map um, in building that relationship and playing that so what game. And that so what game very simply is this, Kevin. You ask a question, what are your goals? What are you wanting to accomplish with this purchase? What are your financial goals? But then you keep saying to yourself, okay, I've gotten an answer, but is it deep enough? I've gotten an answer, is it deep enough? People make a buying decision on who to use or what, what product to purchase based on emotion more so than anything else. And that is oftentimes the underlying and uh, that is the foundation of that decision. Now, there, the numbers will certainly have an impact on the decision. And they should. They have to have an impact. But oftentimes, there's an emotional aspect to the purchase. What I did was I studied and I learned and I trained my loan officers to focus in on the emotional aspect and speak to that while we were talking about the numbers. That built a very strong relationship. It stopped pipeline runoff oftentimes when we were in a scenario like an economic climate like we're in right now where rates are falling. Um, but what it did, and I did this on my radio show. I ran a radio show, a live call and show for 20 years. And um, what I did on that show was the same thing I did on a personal interview uh, with a client. And that was just get to know them. I wanted the audience to get to know us. Everything was based on building a relationship, not 
the income. And the amazing thing about it was literally from month two, we never lost a penny. From the time we opened our doors, I never, I never once, we never once went in the red, ever. The numbers, the trajectory on the numbers up the whole time. Because we were focusing, we were intentionally, and that's a key word, we were intentionally focusing on the relationship, not the income. Look, if we trust to do the right thing for the buyer, the income is going to happen by itself. But the residual effect, what I didn't, it, it, um, what I what I didn't project was the amount of referrals that would come from that. I basically, other than my show, I cut back about four or five years into the business, and we had that operation running nearly twenty years, just a little over twenty years. I cut back almost all of my advertising because of referral business, and I did something else that was different for a mortgage company. I did not pursue realtors. I didn't pursue financial planners. I didn't pursue builders. I went directly to the consumer and focused on relationships. And that, that again, giving glory to God, that, that is what, what allowed us to get to the, um, allow us, allowed us to see the numbers and achieve the successes, professional successes that we realized all the way through to the end. And, and for so Often we hear about everything that that people reap, but nothing about what they sow. So, I guess uh, what I'm saying is, yeah. uh, what did you have to sacrifice to build your business and career over these years? And really, what what kept you going through the tough times? Sure, great question. Thank you for asking. Um, let's talk about what kept me motivated. I grew up at, my dad retired as a city fireman um, in the city of Pittsburgh as a lieutenant on the rescue squad. As a lieutenant, he never made more than $12,000 a year. Do the math. Yeah. As a lieutenant on the rescue squad, he never made more than $12,000 a year. But now he always, he had, he had two, three jobs that he moonlighted when he was off. And I worked with him on those jobs. And, you know, so he instilled in me a work ethic, whether I, Hated it at the time. And believe me, I did. I would have much rather been out doing something else with my buddies rather than installing a window or a door or siding or roofing or something like that. But he was telling me a work ethic. He was also teaching me how to treat people right. So with that in mind, I grew up in a house because financially, my parents should have never been able to build a house. And I say that openly. But there was a realtor in the city of Pittsburgh and there was a builder in the city of Pittsburgh that took a chance with my dad and said, you know what? You've got seven kids. Your wife is a stay-at-home mom. You're working your tail off to support your family. We're going to take a chance on you. When no one in the city of Pittsburgh, heck, today, few people would have taken a chance on my dad. Now, their credit was fine. But financially speaking, man, that, that was a rough number. That was a rough number to look at with the amount of kids there, but I was able to grow up in a house because somebody took a chance on my dad. That made the, that's the lasting impact. That's why 39, I'm going into my 39th year with a few, with, with a year or two where I've stepped out just to kind of regroup. But basically my 39th year, um, that's what drives me still to this day. And that's, everybody has a backstory. And that's what, that's what our job into, our job is to find out and try to dig into that backstory and, and, and believe in that person. So if I can kind of continue to pay it forward in my professional career, 
what that realtor and what that builder did for my father that allowed me to grow up in a house um, and a yard and my own bedroom. And then that's, that's what wakes me up in the morning. And that's what drives me. Bottom line period, bottom line, that's what drives me. Now, as far as a sacrifice is concerned, yeah, there were some sacrifices um, that I had to make in order to, to get to where, you know, to achieve that dream of helping as many people as possible. And that's really what, it, what I was in and still am in business to do. But remember earlier, I used the words life work balance. My father was a workaholic, yet he still was at every one of my ball games. He was at every one of my music concerts. I mean, he didn't miss for any of us kids. He didn't miss an event as a workaholic, but he had to be that in order to provide for us and to keep his promise to pay the bills and to, to honor his word. So the sacrifice that I had to make was during the boom, the refinance boom and all of the, all of the quote, and I'll use the word good times in our mortgage industry. I had to look at my contemporaries and I had to see the houses they were building and I had to see their bank account climbing and I had to see and listen to their stories about the boats and the cars and the vacations and on and on and on and on and on. And I knew because of the reason why I was in business, don't worry about the bottom line. God will take care of that bottom line and he'll give us what we need plus. And he does. So the sacrifice didn't necessarily come in, come in the form of sacrificing time with my family. The sacrifice came in sacrificing my, my material desires to stay on mission. Listen, we very easily could have changed our outlook and our approach to business and had two or three houses around the country and had the, the jet skis and the boats and the multiple cars. And we could have had all of that, my wife and I and our daughter. But because we made the decision, I'm, and my wife was my business partner all of those years, but because we made the decision to approach the market and approach business the way we did, that's where the sacrifice came in. And we still had an awesome time with each other. Um, and we still were able to, literally, we were able to travel the world and we, we were able to enjoy, enjoy what was being provided to us without sacrificing the bottom line for the client, without taking advantage of the client, without, here's a quick story, quick story. I was talking to a competitor of mine one day on the phone and, he, and I was shopping interest rates just to make sure we were competitive in the market. And the, the competitor didn't know it was me on the phone. And he put me on, um, oh, I'm sorry, I put him on, I said, I'm going to put you on hold. I'll be right back. And again, he thought I was just a client calling, but I put him on mute so that I could hear the conversation. And I oftentimes did that just to get inside the head of my competition. And this is what I heard him say. I've got this guy on the phone and I'm going to take him for everything he's got. Yes. That was a competitor of mine. And when I heard that, my reaction was I looked at my wife across the room and I said, Marlene, we're doing it the right way. We got to stay on point. And I got back online, thanked him for his time, got off the line, but I've never forgotten that. Never. And unfortunately, with too many, with too many organizations, even today, with too many organizations, that's their approach. That's their mentality because, you know, you can, you can, you can. Again, I never subscribe to, to the gospel of more. I subscribe to the gospel of provision. 
And we have been well provided for because we kept the client first in mind. So our sacrifice came in material things, not so much in time with um, or any or time with family or anything like that, because it was important that we maintain a life work balance. And with that being said, I mean, so was there ever that time where you had to miss a baseball game or, or, or a um, recital or something mm-hmm. like that? where we always hear in all of these success stories that, you know, they were an absent parent or, or any of, of that. Was that something that you had to deal with uh, as you were building? No, my daughter was very active in sports and I coached her teams growing up. She was very active in music, has an amazing voice. She's very active in music and we were at every concert, every show. Um, yeah. What, what, what kind of legacy do we want to leave? Do we want to leave a life legacy or a living legacy? And I heard somebody say this once. I'm not going to take credit for that. I heard somebody say once, look, you have the opportunity to leave a life legacy. A life legacy is what's the material stuff you're leaving. Or we have an opportunity to leave a living legacy. And I wish I could give credit to the person who, who said this. And I, and I, I just can't. I, I don't remember it or else I would. But the living legacy was how we approached our business. I believe our, my daughter and my grandchildren will be better and the generations down the road will be better because in my mind, I'm, I've, I'm leaving them, when I go home, I am leaving them a living legacy as opposed to a life legacy. And they are still going to get some form of a life legacy, but more importantly, it was a living legacy. And that, in my opinion, and I know I'm a salmon swimming upstream with this and I'm very controversial and most business owners would say, dude, you are all wet. That is not how to be in business. And I would look them straight in the eye like I have in the past, and I would say, absolutely, it's the only way to be in business. It's the only way to be in business. Leave a living legacy along with a life legacy. And, I mean, I suppose that's really, I think, more effective um, than the the typical characterization of someone in business. But um, on the business itself, was there a systematic way in which you were able to uh, dominate a market in the way that you did and have? Yeah, great question. No, there was definitely there was definitely an economic approach to my marketplace. And I, I, had, a, I had a mentality of, okay, if necessary, let's nuke the competition. And my competition was not other mortgage companies. They couldn't keep pace because I kept my overhead very, very low. So I was able to put a more competitively competitively priced market or competitively competitively priced product out into the marketplace. But my competitor was the large banks. And, and so anything that I did was geared towards competing against the banks. And I positioned myself not as a mom and pop mortgage shop. I positioned myself as a bank non-depository recognizing that, but I never, I never allowed myself to take the position of we have to act like a mom and pop. I believe we're doing business the right way, but we're going to attack the market and we're going to attack the competition. We're going to attack their bottom line. Look, if they're going to look at their bottom line, I'm going to attack their bottom line. And that's what I did. So if I had to go out, and this is when mortgage companies were allowed to do this. If I had to go out very, very thin to get a deal, I did that. But oftentimes I didn't have to do that. I was able to price at a very fair margin that the company would make a little bit of money. The borrower was getting a rate beyond anything a bank or another mortgage company could touch. And um, 
um, um, and, and, and we got the loan. We got, we, we got the relationship. We developed that relationship. But strategically, I recognized that not everybody was going to come on board with that mentality. So as I began to bring in other um, investors who I was selling my loans to, I was negotiating contracts with them that would allow me to maintain that type of pricing posture. Because without their, without their involvement, um, closing attorneys, same thing. Any of my third-party vendors or investors that I sold loans to or third-party vendors that I used, I negotiated contracts with them that would allow me to maintain the type of volume that we, that we did. And if they weren't, honestly, if they weren't willing to play, to play ball, they weren't a part of my, they weren't a part of my product offering. And in the beginning, Kevin, it was a tough sale. I had, it was a very tough sale to get, to get these other investors and, and, and closing attorneys and appraisers and whoever else might be involved, even the credit, re, credit reporting company, to get them to understand why I'm approaching this market differently and why I'm not the normal guy. I'm not that typical guy. And my company and this company is not the typical company. But as they began to see the volume, and there were many, many said, no, can't do it, not going to do it. But as they began to see my volume increase, and when they, when they saw my market share increase the way it had, they were then calling on me and, said, okay, and saying, okay, let's play ball. And I was more than happy. I didn't turn people away. I, wasn't, I didn't hold a grudge. I wasn't angry. I understand that was a business decision. And when, they, and when a lot of them came back and said, hey, man, we want to we be a part of this, I welcomed them with open arms. Why wouldn't I want to increase my product offering to my clientele? See, you know, in business, we can hold a grudge, but who does that hurt? It only hurts me. If I hold a grudge against a product that I really think can help my marketplace because they didn't want to do business with me in the beginning, well, goodness, that's just ridiculous. Because now, again, I'm thinking about me as opposed to my client and my relationship with that buyer or that homeowner. So strategically, we approached the marketplace from a, from a margin position um, which which followed falls back to um, the how I the, the lean operation that I had to run. Um, so we approached the marketplace strategically from from a margin position, but also from a negotiated contract position with my vendors that allowed me to put the product on the street that I did. So, on on the subject of systems and and getting clients, um, do you think that sometimes we uh, get too carried away with? building a social media following you know we want the the instagram posts and everything to look nice and not enough time cultivating leads and generating business um you know so how is there a way to, to better integrate the two or are we fooling ourselves you know uh, is social media a waste of time is 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 doing all this just the shiny new object in the market well I'm, i think this is where if you'll allow me, Kevin, I'm going to I'm going to separate just a little bit from that last comment. We still have to bring that client into the business. We still have to make that phone ring or that email pop up or that text to happen or that um, PM to occur. We still have to go out to the marketplace and tell our story. And we have to bring that person into the fold. Once they're in the fold, then it's up to us to treat them and, and make the relationship more important than the transaction. 
So, I mean, here I am. I'm, I'm in my old dad grand. I'm in my old old granddad sweater. Got the button up. I got the button up polo on, right? And and I recognize that. I recognize the importance of who we are and where we are today with social media. I think we can get bogged down sometimes in social media because I believe in that face-to-face. I believe in that, that, that communication, but that's not necessarily the demographic. That's not how the demographic today wants to, wants to be approached. So if we're to, if we're to carry on the mission and remember, Kevin, that mission is relationship first. Do not, I'm not looking at the bottom line. It's mission-based. It's, it's relationship. So if I'm to carry on that mission, I have to go to where that demographic is. And if that demographic is on social media, well, then I better darn well learn social media. I better get good at it. And I better do it better than anybody else, or at least as good as anybody else, so that I can have a, so I can have an opportunity to bring that demographic, that bar or that client in initially as a transaction, because they're wanting to complete a transaction. And then in my interaction, create that and turn that into a relationship. Did that make sense? That path makes sense? Yeah. So it's like you, you, you've got to make your, your social media, I guess, more like how you would talk to someone one-to-one, you know, you don't want to, if you were at a big party with everybody, you wouldn't want to just walk up to somebody and say, uh, call me for a quote, call me to, to redo your mortgage. You know, you would actually talk with them. I'm going to give you an example. That's right. Exactly. I'm going to give you an example. Did you ever did you ever have an interaction with a salesperson, whether it's buying an appliance, buying a car, buying a, a suit, buying whatever you 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 create the product, put a face to the product. Did you ever have an interaction with a salesperson and just kind of walked away whether you bought bought it or not and thought to yourself, man, that was just kind of slimy. I just I was just kind of ugh. And then did you ever have a, 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 an interaction with a salesperson, walk away thinking, man, that person gets me. They understand me. Oh, I mean, all the time. I uh, Actually, this happened to me. That happened to me yesterday. Um, there you go. Okay. So the person, when you walked, it was none of those, those feelings were not, were not based in the product itself. It was based on the interaction, right? Okay. So you may want the, you may want the product from that first example, but you're more likely, believe it or not, you're more likely to buy the product from the second example, even if the price is a little bit higher. And and that's because I care about... Uh, because you felt understood. Now, look, we always have to look at, we always have to look at what's the best deal. I recognize that. I get it. I understand it. And, and we need to be, we need to be responsible with our finances in that realm. However, um, as a salesperson, as a, as, a, as a person who is, you can either you can either try to sell that suit on a transaction basis, or you can try to sell that suit today, recognizing that you're probably going to sell sell that individual and help that individual with their wardrobe for years to come. I would rather go into it with the attitude of, I want to help this person with their wardrobe for years to come, rather than let's make a quick sale today. And uh, uh, we're speaking with Don Marlowe. Marlo. We've got one more question left here. Um, when... When you're building uh, a business and an inevitable market correction does hit, um, yeah. is it in some ways easier to actually continue to build that business because there's less competition? Or how do you stay on top of your game in the mortgage industry um, when that happens? 
Yeah, great question. Um, thank you for asking that because in those 20 plus years that I operated in the market that we did, we operated in the market that we did, we saw a number of those types of corrections, Kevin. Mm -hmm. But And we saw the attrition that naturally happened within our industry and then we would saw, saw, saw that reverse itself. Um, and what I'm about to say to you, I'm not going to exaggerate a syllable of what I'm going to say to you. We never felt, we never felt those corrections, never once. Our numbers stayed consistent. Remember the trajectory that we talked about from the second month of business on, those numbers went up. Um, we didn't feel the correction because our business was relationship-based. It wasn't transactional. So when you base it, when, when, when you approach a business or a mindset, whether you own a business or you work for somebody else, doesn't matter. How are you approaching your marketplace? And if you want to protect the best insulation you can have against corrections is to have a strong client base that understands you, that believes in you, but most importantly, trusts you. So we didn't feel those. We didn't feel those corrections because our phone continued to ring. People were still buying houses. Even though there was less people in the market buying houses, we didn't feel that because our clientele, they knew me from the show. They knew me from referrals, from past, from past clients. So rather than call the bank or call the, the credit union or call whoever else was out there, our phone was ringing because they knew of our consistency. We weren't in the market one week with great rates and then out of the market one week because we didn't, you know, we wanted to slow. We were consistent. We, made a, we maintained a consistent posture in the community as it related to approaching the community. And over time, that bore, that, that bore witness to staying steady through the corrections. The foundation you build in the beginning, whether you're entering a marketplace new or starting a business new, the foundation you build in the beginning will dictate where you land in the middle and where you end up. Bottom line, I believe it. I've lived it. I can preach it because we've lived it. And the question comes down to what is your foundation going to be based on transactions and getting, quote, what you can out of the person or is your relationship truly going to be based in relationships and what's best for that other person? Never considering what's best for you, what's best for the other person and never looking at the bottom line. What's my commission? What's my compensation? That's going to happen by itself. It's a longer sales process, brother. It's a longer cycle to develop those relationships. But once that's established, you'll get through those corrections. And you'll get through the corrections and you'll sleep well during the correction. And I think that's a great note to, to end on here because that, that is truly powerful. And people who have fears about starting businesses, um, I think it's important to understand that aspect. Um, so we have about two minutes. Uh, is, there, is there a parting thought you want to leave on? Or? You know, um, at the beginning of the show, I said God would get the glory for everything we talked about. and. Um, Thank you for this opportunity. I, I do want to say that, um, man, I was not the guy that you're hearing talk today in my younger life. 
Mm -hmm. um, part of the reason why I never held a job longer than three years was my own arrogance. And I thought I had a better way and I thought there was a better way to do it. But once, once I, once I realized that there was a deeper reason for being in business, not the bottom line, but to truly serve others, um, that's what turned it around for me. And I could not have maintained or, or, um, um, approached that mentality on a daily basis without, without answering to a higher call. And, you know, I would do the activities to make the phone ring, but I trusted God to work through me in those activities. So I claim no credit for anything we heard today. And I claim no credit for how the business was successful, the success of the organization and the business. And I claim no credit for where it ended up. Um, what I did was as best as I could, man, and I failed, I failed so many times, but, but I'd come back as best I could as I would trust God to work through me to make the phone ring, still doing the activities necessary make, to make that phone ring. And that was the outcome. Wonderful. All right. Well, I, Hey Don, I really appreciate your time today, brother. It's, yeah. uh, it's been a pleasure. I, I always enjoy being in your company, Kevin. I look forward to grabbing another coffee with you soon. Excellent. We'll set that up. Thanks, Don. Take care.